all of us are sellers now, whether you're in products or in many companies, especially those funded by venture, have really consistent, refined social selling programs. There are companies now that use LinkedIn and Navigator and other social media platforms to build relationships. And part of that is just how to use snippets of content that a company produced. So they build a conversation with some folks they probably haven't even talked to yet, but have a digital relationship with. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies, with in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications. GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real-world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Bill Furlong. Bill has been at the forefront of B2B marketing for decades. He was the managing director and publisher of B2B Magazine, and then went on to successfully launch multiple startups, including Bizzo, which was acquired by LinkedIn. Bill is the author of Appify Your Business, and currently serves as CEO of Squarestack, the business app's command center for small business. Bill, welcome to Chief Influencer. Uh, Pleasure to be here, Anthony, and uh, look forward to our discussion today. Yeah, I've been really excited to talk to you, Bill, because B2B marketing, obviously, has been around for a really long time, but it's changed. And I think that when we ask this question of who do we influence and how do we influence folks? In B2B marketing, there are some new strategies and approaches, and I'm really interested to hear your take on that. So maybe you can start by just telling us, what do you see as some of the major shifts over your career in B2B marketing and how to find and influence the right people? Sure. Yes. I started my career, as I like to tell my employees, at the turn of the century. Right, And this is really when the internet just got out of the box and I had a front row seat working for B2B and Advertising Age was our sister publication at Create Communication. So we were very fortunate to actually be involved in the 1.0 stage of the internet. And so a lot of has changed, as we all know. And what I can say is B2B has always been the stepsister. The, it's behind the veneer, I like to say, of the consumer economy. And there's a whole lot of folks and budgets devoted to selling product through because if you don't get it on a shelf, a consumer can't buy it. So I think we all know that. But I'd say, obviously, the internet has changed the game for everybody and specifically for the B2B. And given the glamour, if that's the right word, of the technology revolution and Silicon Valley, 
it's that's really B2B marketing at its essence. And so that's really raised the profile. And I also teach at my university, alma mater, University of Illinois, and more and more students are uh, interested in B2B as a career path. And I think it's been fueled by the dual revolution of technology companies being more visible to consumers in the, the news media, and B, uh, all the new tools that are in the toolbox uh, that have really re recreated uh, B2B uh, as uh, a discipline. And if I could, what are those tools? I think at, at the baseline is that in the old days, not that long ago, you would have to reach business audiences through trade journals, their emerging websites, and really be deep in industry, if you will, and that still is the case. But now, since you can advertise what's called programmatically and through this great new ecosystem of digital media, you don't have to necessarily buy your audiences just in the industry. You can buy them wherever you are on the internet. And that's why you're seeing companies like W.W. Granger buying radio and television. You see a lot of tech companies buying television because they can target business audiences via the set top box and through the just almost mysterious tradecraft of programmatic advertising. Yeah, it's we take it for granted, don't we? That is such a huge game changer for marketing and communications right. folks. You used to right. have to say, let me figure out where people are and buy in that trade journal or buy at that event. And now you can use this technology to follow people around so that they can be on a gardening blog and they might see right. the advertisement for your association's annual meeting or for your solution that you sell to business owners. And right. that's a pretty big shift. And I guess I wonder if it means that B2B marketing has to look more like B2C marketing than it used to. What do you think? Yeah. A absolutely. And I think another trend, of course, is that, especially in America, where your work clock is on 24-7 and the convergence of our personal lives, our family lives, and our business work life have all been fused. And the pandemic, quite frankly, changed that even further, where you work remotely. It's about productivity, not really where you are. And so you're seeing this continuing confluence of your work life and your consumer life merged. And to that point is now, I think a lot of business marketers are trying to understand a, the overall persona of a business buyer. What are their psychographic signals? They are people. And there's this whole big drive. You and I talked about it earlier about authenticity and yeah. conversational marketing. So you can't just do that in the blind silo of a business profile. You Both the buyer and the seller have to become more humanized, if you will. And so I believe there's more emotional creativity in business advertising. And of course, the whole courtship in the, is what we call in our industry, the funnel, managing different messaging all the way down through the purchase. And then selling is you have to build a conversation. Much most successful uh, consumer advertising appeals to the emotion. I think that's become built into B2B messaging. But at the end of the day, we still must realize that business buyer is not spending their own money. They're spending their company's money. So there still will be the, 
the arithmetic needed to make a informed business purchase. But again, I believe because all the media pipes have become fused, the work and the family life merged, that B2B marketers are now in this new uh, arena and are seeing success using a more B2C approach. And then conversely, which is ironic, if you will, a lot of my B2C uh, brethren, I, I uh, was on the board of the IAB, the Interactive Ad Bureau, and I was the B2B guy. <laughs> and, and what's clear is they've been surprised that we've been really using a lot of these micro-targeting tools for decades through, through trade shows and um, newsletters um, and, again, trade association platforms in given industries. It's been a very interesting ride. You talk about the both the people side and the technology side. And I want to talk about the technology a little bit later, but to stick on that sort of people, authenticity, connecting emotionally, using leaders and building them up as thought leaders is a really popular strategy. Yes. I think it's becoming so popular. Everybody's trying to figure out how do I do it, not look like everybody else. And that's something that I know you have a lot of experience with. In fact, you wrote that, you wrote a book yes. by your business. And I wonder, first, tell us a little bit about that book, the content, who it's for. Right. But then I also want to talk about from the bill perspective, why did you choose to do that? How does that work for you? Because I think a lot of other leaders who are listening or their top communications folks might be thinking, hey, is this an approach we should use? And I'd like to get under the hood there. But to start, tell us just about the book right. and who it's intended for. Sure. Thank you. First off, I get a kick. There, Everyone calls what we do here now called content marketing, right? We've been doing content marketing for decades. It's just got a good handle now. And one of the areas of great growth and interest is, of course, companies wanting to posture themselves as thought leaders, curators of insights and knowledge within their domain expertise. And so I felt I launched, by the way, Squarestack is a B2B SaaS company, and we have uh, built a platform for small business owners to consolidate all their other software tools. So when you run a business, you have QuickBooks and Square and ZipRecruiter and all different vendors, different passwords. We aggregate all that in one platform. I won't get into too much depth of that, but we are pioneers in helping small business owners be better technologists. And so I felt, given my journey, that I had a lot of knowledge gathered and different points of my journey, perspectives that I think small business owners would appreciate. I was a journalist out of college, but went to the uh, dark side, the business side of media. And so I always had a, been writing blogs or columns. And so I felt if I could write a book that aggregates all the current trends of small business technology, that would be a great positioning effort for a company to uh, position ourselves as a thought leader. And it's called Appify Your Business. It's just, hey, here's what the typical stack looks like for a small business. This is what you need to learn. This is where you need to go. These are use cases of a salon owner, a construction general contractor, and how they use technology. We worked with a publisher. I wrote most of it. She helped edit and build the graphics. And more importantly, and many companies do this, by the way, are connected to the Amazon ecosystem. And that's a real important thing worth exploring for any CEOs or association marketer is 
this whole ecosystem is very inexpensive. There's writers, authors, graphic designers, and more importantly, monetization uh, expert. We're on Amazon two years ago, and I was a best new seller. And I, after all these years, I actually got a check from Jeff Bezos. Uh, <laughs> but I had to give it right back because of my kids' gaming habits. But the point is, we sell a few hundred a month, but we use that book to give away free for the subscribers of our software. It's gotten me interviews with local media. Cranes, I used to work for us, so maybe that helped a little bit, but I was interviewed by their editor. Their constituents are small business owners. So it's a great platform to position our company for fundraising, for our channel strategy. And so we're actually coming out with edition two. We'd like to think it's the chicken soup for small business technology. So we've got a, a mini brand, if you will, in the offing. And so to your last point of that question, I think many CEOs and C-suiteers at any type of company uh, have a unique perch to curate a lot of really interesting insights and knowledge and strategies that could become a book. It could be a podcast series. But the whole idea is content marketing and leveraging your senior team to be a marketing platform for the company. Yeah, it's such an important lesson, I think, for today's communicators and marketers is that you can't do it all through the brand. You have to leverage your people, your leaders. And sometimes, you know, what I'll tell folks that haven't quite gotten that is let's say, look, if CNN calls, you can't send your logo, can you? You got to pick a person. You have to pick a spokesperson. And you'll probably be tripping over yourself to try to figure out who to get there because it seems like an opportunity you don't want to miss. And then in the digital landscape, sometimes the leaders feel like they're so busy or maybe they're not comfortable with it that they try to have all the communications come out through the official brand, through the logo. And people trust people. They don't trust brands in the same way. So when you can build up an expert in your case, a thought leader who has a lot of expertise in B2B marketing, and you can see where there's a need and you can curate this content for people, it makes a difference. And then people, as I know with your background and, and being familiar with your reputation, people look to you as a trusted expert in B2B. And that trust expands to your business and your brand and helps you achieve the goals you're trying to achieve there. Yes. And I'd also add, Anthony, I mentioned to you, I'm on the board of a media company in London called B2B Marketing. Imagine that. And they reach a million CMOs around the world. And part of the training they do with their sales team and their leaders is what I'll call at a high level social selling. And all of us are sellers now, whether you're in products or engine. And many companies, especially those funded by venture, have really consistent, refined social selling programs. And just to give you a few highlights that we talked about is there are companies now that train sales teams on how to use LinkedIn and Navigator and other social media platforms to to build relationships. And and part of that is just how to use the content that the marketing department that sometimes doesn't share with the sales team, believe it or not, that's an age-old problem. But how to use snippets of content that a company has produced. So they build a conversation with some folks they probably haven't even talked to yet, but have a digital relationship with. 
And what's uh, funny is this company that trained my team, Empire Selling, they suggested you share some of your personal posts that you confined to Facebook into LinkedIn. And just a, a couple of weeks ago on Halloween, I took a picture of all the candies my son laid out. It's like all the Kit Kats from a uh, hundred of them. And it looked like an infographic. So I posted that on, on, on LinkedIn and it got the most likes of any of my content. So the folks downstream who follow me see a real person, right? And you mix it up with some of your persona, your humanness. So I think a lot of companies are trying to help their teams become more human, if that's the right word, in their social selling environments. Because technology, for all the good it does, also blocks the ability to build a relationship. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that example up because it's just, it, it really hits home around authenticity and that human connection and something that you thought, oh, this would be maybe connect with the, the folks who are in my network. And it did, you, know, you saw the reaction. And I think there's this balance that a lot of leaders struggle with that I want to ask you about. On one hand, it's easier than ever to write a book to launch a podcast, to post on social media, right? Because we all have cameras on our phones and there's an Amazon ecosystem so you can have a book that's on demand. And so it's easier than ever to do this stuff. And there are all these people that you can pay to do it for you. But then at the same time, if you just handed your keys to your LinkedIn profile to some somebody and you just said, here, run with it, and you weren't involved, they wouldn't have known about that Halloween candy opportunity. They wouldn't have thought of that idea. They wouldn't right. have had that photo. So there's this balance between if leaders don't have time to do everything themselves. We've heard this from the trade commissioner from the UK who was on our podcast recently as a chief influencer. They can't do it all themselves. And then at the same time, but if they just outsource it all and they're not guiding it yeah. and involved with it, it's not authentic. And when it's so noisy, the stuff that's not authentic doesn't really pop up. So I'd love to just hear any of your thoughts about how leaders can achieve that balance with these opportunities that exist. I'm part of a few technology groups. One is called the old timers, appropriately. <laughs> and it's a lot of the digital leaders in our industry. And right now, I'm sure some of us may have even in our bones felt it, but there are AI generated personas who would have LinkedIn profiles who ought they're automated, they're drip campaigns of people that don't exist who are trying to sell you into their pipeline. So there's a lot of bots, fake people, and it's all automated. And I don't think anybody really wants to be buying from a bot. It could change the next generation, never say never, but authenticity and conversational approach to your digital self, I think is so important. Back to just some of the things I do is, again, I let our company do its posting, Squarestack. We have a schedule. We take snippets from the book. Our, our content, see some nuggets in New York Times, shares it, puts the hashtags in. Again, all I don't mess with that schedule. But what I do is each of our executives, I don't demand it of them, but I encourage them to post as a individual brand that happens to be working for Squarestack and just put up five posts a week, just from your brain, your heart, 
whatever it is that, that you think is worth sharing. And I think my team has done that well. I could do better. But what I, happens that I'll come into a real live Zoom meeting and hopefully sometime even in-person meetings. And they go, oh, yeah, I remember when you post about this. And people, even though you don't know it uh, and you're hoping for it, are building a an image of who you are, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's not that you're that important, but clearly that has happened to me, that it's greased the skid to opening doors so that we can meet other. We work with a lot of associations and chambers of commerce. And so it just, it builds your, again, authenticity, yeah. your leadership profile. And if it works well enough, you, it, it'll open more doors. Yeah, I totally see and believe in that power where somebody might yeah. know you or know your brand because of something that you did that resonated in a digital platform. And it just shows the power of technology and how we can achieve things today that not that long ago were unimaginable. I know a lot of leaders, myself included, sometimes struggle to measure the success of that because right. if you're doing programmatic marketing to drive people to fill out a form to generate a lead, right? There are some very clear metrics that you can use. But when you're building your brand, you're building your reputation, hey, is this book working? Okay, I got likes on this Halloween post, but is it the right people? And am I? And then three months from now, somebody in a meeting says something, that's not showing up on a dashboard anywhere, right? It's a little right. bit more difficult to measure that. And so I think as B2B marketing has expanded and changed and become a little bit more like B2C, it's maybe in some ways become a bit harder to measure. And right. I, I just would love to hear your thoughts on that yeah. and what sort of insights you bring to your team or to these other, you're part of a lot right. of other groups and support other right. startups. So I know you have some insights on this. Sure. It's been a decades battle about the value of brand advertising versus your lead gen, demand gen hype. And it, I believe brand advertising for so many decades was never needed to be measured, if you will. It was just the necessary air cover to open doors and it was never really needed to be measured. Focus groups, of course, are more B2C, less B2B. But there was some measurement, but it wasn't taken to the woodshed in terms of uh, ROI. But I do believe, though, that many B2B marketers, and I talk to agency CEOs pretty often, is that it's getting its legs back after a couple of decades of just uh, cost per lead. And that whole media engine, if you will, is getting exhausted, right? People are getting, it's all about attention right now, right? And many publishers are saturating their audiences, their subscribers. And it's just the idea of more brand advertising is in the discussion. But back to social and the measurements of your book, et cetera. One of the things that I see, and we're helping some of our association and chamber partners with this, is understanding what is called your first party data assets. And what I mean by that, Anthony, you and I talked about that before, is you have all this data in your tech stack, people that visit your webinar, attend your events in person, open the white white paper, yeah. attended a webinar, who bought product, returned product. So all these signals are living in different software pipes. And so many B2Bers absolutely are trying to unify all that data 
And so what I'm saying is that brand advertising or someone who bought your book, those signals can be measured and collected around the first party data profile of Mr. Smith. And so you can now, with these new platforms, they're called customer data platforms, CDPs, you can know ahead of running an ad or making a sales call, that person participated in your brand and your content X number of times, where, so you follow? So this is really, it's the biggest thing I see in marketers, whether you're an association or WW Granger or IBM, is getting your first party data house in order, yeah. which will clarify, refine, and optimize just what is the value of all those outbound elements of your marketing. Yeah. And Bill, I'm wondering, a lot of our listeners are communications leaders, since we, the communications board is our co-producer. Yes. And I'm wondering if that means communications people who have thought of themselves in that silo need to maybe be more aware of what's happening in marketing and how to take advantage of it. Because if they think, yeah, we have these members or we have this community that we're trying to get the message out and, and build awareness, there's these signals that we can pick up in the communications landscape and we can use those, what used to be marketing strategy and tactics, even if it is in the communications sphere. Does that resonate yeah. with you? Yeah, no, I think what's happening, and this may sound like canned stick is marketers because they have the or communication people have the most exposure to the customer ecosystem they have a front row seat of the most important data coming into the company but what needs to happen is the ceo the top management needs to be champions around driving a company-wide initiative of collecting all the data and putting it in one place in marketers, DMO level specifically, or CorpCom, can be the leading advocate alongside the CEO to yeah. drive that because a lot of the tools collecting data uh, reside in marketing or, or communications. And what we're finding, there's, for instance, if you guys haven't heard of Chief Marketing Technologist, they have an event every year called MarTech Conference. There's 6,000 SaaS tools out there that marketers are using. Stats sprawl, I like to call it. And so you think about all the data that's just fragmented, but uh, of scale. And so the magic will be to try to unify all that and the marketing. And I know less about CorpCom involvement in the stack, but you can be the leaders in building a company-wide initiative to collect all data. And I'll close with one quick note about WW Granger. They are the most sophisticated, in my mind, B2B marketer in America. And they're buying, they're buying targeted advertising on Super Bowl to reach business buyers. You may think that everybody sees that ad, but no, it's only business executives, not uh, my college kid uh, at his dorm. That's because programmatic is television yeah. now. But they also combine their e-commerce data, their return data, their like by part data in the sales profile in Salesforce so that their sales execs know everything about mm -hmm. their customers touching of Granger. It's, it's 
even for folks who think, wow, I can't get that advanced yet. Yeah. You've yeah. made it clear there are steps that they can take to start figuring out where their data is and owning it yes. and making sure they're personalizing those messages. I remember a story I heard years ago um, from Accenture, huge company does consulting, but they get hired by very senior decision makers and they do very little advertising. But one place they would advertise is in the airports right outside of the um, business and first class lounges. Oh yeah. Oh, because who's coming out of those lounges? Decision makers, frequent travelers. And so that was a really, and that's the old school type of advertising version of what you're describing, which is Granger using programmatic OTT to show up during the Super Bowl, but not for everybody in America, just through the ones that are streaming and they're able to target. Right. Uh, and by the way, we right now are helping some of our associations and chambers. We are we have a relationship with Google B2B license, which are hard to get. And so we're helping these groups target their first party data, their members, when they're out on the web. Yeah. One group has 100,000 members. We have found out and built what are called tags to 80,000 of their members. And we have a conversation out on the web with those 80,000, whether they're on ESPN or yep. DraftKings <laughs> or Drugstore News. We're able to let the cha- a chamber build a conversation when they're not in the website of the chamber. And what I see most associations we work with who provide our SaaS tool to their members is they want to get people back to their brand more often. And with COVID, a lot of their events business have imploded. And so they need to build other communication channels and value to pick that loss up, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So there's a huge possibility there. And one thing I wanted to to pick up on is you mentioned the role of the CEO a few times. And we talked about authenticity and personal brand. I, I think you said to me once before, the CEO has to be on social yes. media. Is that right? That's one man's opinion. Yes. And again, some CEOs, I'm a boomer. So I think a good half to two thirds of us have either embraced or forced our way. We're forced to become more digitally oriented. But Gen X and millennials, there would be no issue with them being on the web. Uh, digital first, if you will. But yes, I believe it's absolutely an imperative amongst all your different stakeholder communities to build that. And I agree with you, Anthony, that you don't want a, a ghostwriter or a phantom write for you. You need to own it. And whether you farm out part of it, that's your call because there's a lot of very important roles you have to fill, obviously. But I think a digital brand a digital presence is essential in this today's business environment. Yeah, we see just a lot of evidence that the leaders, they don't have to be on every channel. They don't have to do every right. single thing. But some of the leaders who have really embraced having a presence, whether it's LinkedIn or something else, and finding the right partnership to be able to do that, they're just able to connect. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal that 10 times more engagement from a person's profile on LinkedIn and their content than from the company page. So even if you just want to reach your own workforce, it's a really great place to just make sure you're getting the message out. And you can do it through an authentic voice from a person. 
in a way that's different if it's a news release on a website or something. Yeah, I just I was just with a good friend here in Chicago. He is the CEO of a three generation family business called Farley Harley Industries, and they manufacture fire equipment, uh, helmets and axes and whatnot. And what a year ago, his marketing team convinced him to host a weekly podcast. And he introduced innovation in the fire industry. You may think it's boring, but it's really pretty cool content. And now he he was uh, interviewed by WGN TV here in Chicago about innovation and safety. So he has seen, and he's old school, even though he's my age. He he is, has a new career, wow. and he is the talk of the town. And all his young workers, hey, I, my guy has got ex-followers. So it, it, it's a great example of an old school industry adopting new school technology tools and really inve- reinventing their brand. Oh, I love that example. Yeah. I, and, and if you uh, are comfortable sharing info after, we'll add the link notes because yes. I know folks would love to, because we're always interested in what different leaders are. You know, it's great when it's some household brand name, some CEO everybody's heard of, but when you can find examples like that, that maybe folks haven't heard of, but they're really breaking through in their industry and in their community. Yes. That's, I find that really inspirational and there's so much we can all learn from that. So we'll add that yeah. to the notes. Sure. I, you may have just answered it with that, but I want to ask you just one final question. I talk to all these wonderful leaders like you, these chief influencers, and many of them say that they get inspiration not just from their own sector, like in your case, the B2B world and the media, but that there are places outside of their day-to-day that they draw inspiration from that that influences yes. how they show up. And so I just would love to ask if there are any places that you've yes. gotten inspiration outside of the usual suspects that we would expect. Yes, I am a huge fan of Scott Galloway. I don't know if they're on yeah. your, he's on your ra- radar, but he's a three-time entrepreneur. He built and sold Red Envelope a decade ago, but he's now a, a what do you call it, a professor at New York University Stern School. And he has a great podcast, a newsletter. It's all about innovation and about how to read through all the noise of the technology industry and how technology is impacting all walks of life. And he's really opinionated, but graceful in his barbs, right? So Scott Galloway, Google him. He's certainly my current sort of favorite, if you will. And unfortunately, I believe X, formerly known as Twitter, for me was a great place where I followed about 50 or so leaders, and they it was like my news content pipe that I would review every day. I'm not a fan of where it's going, and a lot of the people that I, I followed are all of a sudden gone, and I don't know why. But again, I, I still follow a, a number of uh, executives in, in my industry and then out of industry. And then you and I talked about this. I, I'm a big meditator, and Thich not. Han is one of my favorite authors, a Vietnamese monk. And just the whole idea of mindfulness and being grounded in the moment, it's really hard to do when you're running a company, especially in a knowledge industry, and you're pretty much digital all day long. And it's hard to untether from that uh, the crack of being online all the time. And we actually have in our family what we call digital Sabbath. Every Sunday, everyone throws their phones 
into a, a bowl and you can't touch it. So we've got these practices both at the home and again, I'm just love thick in his writings. And he has this new series. I don't know how new it is, but it's a little book, digest books about one's called how to eat, how to sit. It's pretty incredible. You things you take for granted about and- just wallowing in the moment and then trying to get back into plugging yourself in and try not to get overwhelmed. And again, I'm a tap type A personality if you haven't figured that out yet. And I've always liked fast pace, but in this day and age, it, it's too fast in my opinion. And so I'm even looking for ways to slow down. Yeah. I love, first love the Scott, the Galloway, a good reminder there because he's has yeah. excellent stuff, but then, you know, with Thich Nhat Hanh, his books and just the reminder in this fast paced digital world, we can let it all, we can let it take control of us rather than us taking control and maybe that's even a little bit of what your solution right. is at Squarestack is we have all, we've subscribed to all these things and get a handle on everything. And you're helping folks switch the vantage point there to take control rather than let it control them. But I'm really right. impressed and inspired by your digital Sabbath that someone yes. who is on the move all the time and is an expert in marketing and apps and digital media that, that you and your family uh, do that. That's right. and I, surprising. Yeah, I've met to a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, there's a couple other guys in marketing and, and media that I follow religiously. One is Scott Breaker. Scott Breaker started chief marketing technologist and he's now the CMO at HubSpot. And so anything he's involved with, I follow. He's the chief marketing technologist editor. And then the other guy, Brian Morrissey, He's out of the publishing side in B2B, and he's really smart guy. He used to run Ad Exchanger, which was a big media platform in our business. And then I follow a VC here in Chicago, Gail Wilkinson. She's she's involved with uh, a company called Impact Engine, which invests no, invests only in social entrepreneuring startups, and she's a leader in the woman-run venture capital company community. And she's got her hand in so many cool things. And so I follow her as well. That's great. Thanks for sharing those. We'll include them in the show notes. And Bill, I just want to thank you for taking time to be with us today. And congrats on being recognized as a chief influencer. A lot of wonderful lessons that we've taken away about B2B marketing and authenticity showing up. So thank you. And the only sales pitch today is follow me at WKJ Furlong on X, formerly known as Twitter. And you can look me up on LinkedIn if anybody has any questions or comments. I'd love to connect. And I appreciate the opportunity, Anthony. Fantastic. Definitely follow Bill. And thank you again for being with us. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time.